PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and display your photos in a flash-free, responsive website. Try one for free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Get our latest educational guides for free. PhotoShelter.com slash resources. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Alan Murabayashi recording live from the PhotoShelter headquarters here in New York City. We have a special podcast today talking about a very timely topic. It is what makes an image iconic. And this particular topic was sort of influenced by two things. You might have seen Jonathan Bachman's image of a protester in Baton Rouge going around the internet. It's kind of been the the image du jour. Um, and everybody's been talking about it. And one of the, the pieces that I read about it was written by my guest speaker, Michael David Murphy, who wrote probably the, the most detailed and, and best visual assessments of the image. So he, he talks about kind of his emotions, but he also says these are the visual elements that make it successful. And it was one of the few uh, discussions that I saw on the internet that went into that level of detail. So I sent Michael an email and I said, hey, Michael, let's talk about what makes an image iconic. So here he is from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, live. Welcome to the show, Michael. Good morning. Thank you, Alan. Glad to be here. So you are a, a photographer, a writer. You're the program manager for the biggest uh, photography public festival, as you told me. Atlanta celebrates photography. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've uh, been here in Atlanta for about eight years. Uh, I feel like I'm a displaced West Coaster and, and New Englander, I guess, uh, just kind of uh, stranded here a bit in the South. But in the last few years, I've really embraced life down here. I'm an Atlantan. I love it. I get to run a great photo festival. with. Uh, we have a staff of about three and a half people. So every October here in Atlanta is Atlanta Celebrates Photography, which is a month of exhibitions, lectures, public art, workshops. Um, anybody can get involved at any level from a 10-year-old just picking up a camera for the first time to uh, a big museum show at the High Museum, the big museum in town. So um, yeah, it's a little bit about me. It's a great morning down here and uh, excited to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, so let's jump into it. This is the image that sort of started the discussion. Uh, Jonathan Bachman is a freelance photographer uh, out of New Orleans. He drove over to Baton Rouge. Um, there were Black Lives Matter uh, Matters protests going on because of the police shooting death of uh, Philando Castile uh, during a routine traffic stop for a broken uh, taillight, um, which was the day after the death in Minnesota, and then subsequently followed two days later by the death of five police officers in Dallas. So last week, obviously a crazy, crazy time uh, for the nation. And then also all of these images were coming out uh, almost in near real time. This particular image for you struck a bit of a chord. Um, before we talk about this specific image, let's get into your thoughts about what makes an image iconic in the first place. What does that even mean? Because there's been a lot, I've seen a lot of internet comments about, that's not iconic, this is iconic. <laughs> Yeah, to me, when I think of I, I, an iconic photograph, I actually get to the root of the word, an icon. And when I think about icons, I think about, you know, like stone rocks, really, these unassailable, uncrackable, solid cores, really. And, and you, can, you can see that in some photographs where you can't chip away at any more. There, there's just like the, a, such a solid core that they're... That, that they just deliver a message so powerfully. And that's 
I think what it is is that there's this simplicity to the power, really. It's maybe not super complex, but there's a purity and a simplicity to the power that an iconic photo can deliver. That's that's kind of the threshold for me when I'm looking at these things. You know, a lot of people in these comments that I've been reading, um, and, and I'm thinking in one particular, I saw a Pulitzer Prize winner chime in on one of these private groups. Uh, and, the, and the prize winner said, it's a good photo, it's not a great photo. And other people on some of these photography sites have been saying, well, technically, it's not a great photo because of this element and this element and wow. should have had more bokeh and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, to me, I, I wonder if you can sort of break down for an image to be iconic, does it have to be technically perfect? Does it have to be aesthetically perfect? Does it really need to stand the test of time um, in terms of historical importance? I think I think uh, the third is actually the most important. I think you can have subtly flawed images that uh, maybe aren't firing on every cylinder. Like uh, photographers will sometimes want to get every single thing exactly perfect, and I don't think that's a requirement in an iconic image. I think the real requirement is that the main meat that you're delivering is uh, delivering it so clearly and so truly that it's undeniable. Uh, I, I wouldn't really be concerned about what's happening in the top left-hand corner or the upper <laughs> upper right-hand corner. I don't, yeah. you know, I, and maybe that's what's ruffling the Pulitzer Prize winner is that, okay, there are some things there that could be cleaner or could be more essentialized, I guess, in the in the Bachman photo, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me because the message and the power and the source of that particular photo are communicating so clearly and so strongly. Uh, I don't I don't care that I don't care about some of those small flaws. Do Do you think that for a photojournalism image that is considered iconic? that there is a general underappreciation by the larger public of how difficult it is to consider your framing and everything that's happening in the foreground and the background when these things are happening you know, milliseconds in front of your eyes. Yeah, most definitely. I think if you were to step outside of our conversation and take this picture to people on the street, um, one thing that, that, and start trying to point out some of the things about what makes it great is that once you get down to number six or seven on the list of what might make this picture great, the person on the street would say, yeah, but they didn't plan that. They, did, they, right. they didn't intend it to be that way, right? So there is this element of, of lassoing luck uh, that comes into it where, yes, the person, uh, let's say uh, Mr. Bachman in this instance, is occupying the exact perfect spot on the planet to take this picture at that moment. He has a camera, he's highly skilled, and he knows when to get this frame, and, and he's, he's able to do that. But there are also these unbelievable uh, factors that are swirling just beyond his control that um, are working to his advantage um, in, a, in a pretty unique way. Uh, as we look at this image on the screen there, I'm going to try to blow it up a little bit. Uh, I want to read some comments that I pulled from the internet. Uh, this one is from a woman named Chelsea in Paris, Texas. Uh, I wasn't there, however, if they were trying to clear the streets and she would not go. She was not complying with the law. No guns drawn. She was arrested as she should have been. 
It's making front page because it's a woman in a pretty dress and the media loves it. Here's Terry. Uh, don't you just love the posed photograph? She's being arrested <laughs> because she has chosen to be unlawful. What you don't see is the army of unlawful protesters behind her. I highly doubt those officers in riot gear are lined up across the road for an inspection drill. Um, quote, a woman's peaceful act of resistance is reminiscent of Tiananmen Square tank man. So that was somebody else's comment. And Patrick uh, replies, that may be the most absurd statement ever made in regards to protests. Tiananmen uh, was a, a massacre on June 4, 1989 that took the lives of between 310,000 people. On June 5th, tank man stood in front of a column of tanks and got the world's attention. The woman standing in front of two cops while brave can't be seriously compared to that young man. So here, obviously, I cherry-picked kind of incendiary <laughs> statements. What, what sort of your reaction to those? That everybody comes to a photograph with whatever worldview they want to bring to it. Uh, I, I like one of the first people that, one of those first commenters who really isn't talking about the photograph. They're talking about everything beyond the frame. And, and that's kind of what these people are bringing to it. They're, they're beyond the frame expectations of what Black Lives Matter is, what police brutality is, what the intersection of those two things are in culture right now. Um, there's something special about this picture, and I don't want to derail your question, Alan, but in thinking about iconic pictures, um, the fact that her dress is billowing like that and that there's this kind of sense of, of true beauty in the face of the kind of mechanized police force, uh, that's pretty special. And I'm trying to think about uh, another example, nothing's really coming to mind. Like Tank Man is, is pure protest, pure resistance. I am standing here. I, I think he had a shopping bag with him mm -hmm. and I'm holding this bag and I'm holding my ground. Um, and while she has a similar stance, it's the kind of beauty and the, the soft flowingness of her presence and solidity of her presence that uh, is doing something more here. I, I totally agree with the billowing dress comment. From to me, that is a huge visual component. Definitely, the success of the image, um, because there's all this other rigidity. So it's sort of organic versus mechanized, as you say. Uh, a, a few commenters said it's Princess Leia against the stormtroopers, which I also thought was a great <laughs> analogy. Yeah. Um, tell you know you wrote a, a very thorough. Um, dissertation almost on, on medium.com. Will you tell us a, a few more elements that you thought were outstanding in this image? There, honestly, I really like uh, investigating the, the lucky aspects. Um, if you've picked up a camera and been at a protest, as I have, and, and photographed even protests like this in Louisiana, there's only so much you can account for in the heat of the moment. And I really love these I, I, the, 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 excuse me, the handcuffs that are kind of bouncing off of one of the cops, uh, waistbands and how they're just those, their loops and they're open and they seem so ready to put hands and, and wrists inside. And then you look up just above that and see her hands and she's kind of reaching out, uh, uh, while being while guarding herself and she's got this very loose watch and the loop of which connects to the loop of the handcuffs and even some of the straps on the back of her dress i love those three elements playing off each other in the center of the photograph and 
you can't, as a photographer, you can't plan for those things. Um, when, and I find that when other photographers look at, look at pictures, um, or maybe just speaking for myself, these are the things I tend to appreciate most, the things that just can't be planned for. You also mentioned in your piece kind of the, the crack in the asphalt that literally divides them visually, which I hadn't picked up on when, you know, when I, I looked at it at, at first glance. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that means sort of literally and metaphorically? Yeah. For, first, it's interesting because the crack really isn't that visible if it's a 500 pixel wide image. And um, I, I did you know, the search to find the largest size that I possibly could. And when I opened it up on a big screen, the crack became completely obvious, like, look at this thing. And and this is this is just a tarmac separating in the in the Louisiana heat, but it provides this incredible contrast, this dividing line between the motives of the police and this particular protester. Um, and, and yet it stops, the crack stops at a horizontal connecting line that's actually kind of connecting them. It's, it's beautiful. It's, when I saw it, when I found, when I opened it up and I saw that, I was like, oh boy, I gotta I got write, got write something about this. <laughs> like, as, as somebody who tries to think about photography in new ways and present those thoughts in, in new ways, um, I knew I had a, a, a it was gonna be a late night. <laughs> I, I want to talk about this idea of this image being staged because I've seen several interpretations. First of all, people saying it's staged, and then when you inquire, you know, what do you mean by staged? So one woman on uh, on her photo shelter Facebook site said uh, the photographer told her to go, which is completely erroneous. The photographer had no interaction. I spoke to the photographer. He said in writing that the woman just stepped up. So the, I think the, the notion that he led her to do something is bunk. Um, but other people are saying she knew that she would be captured by these cameras. So in that sense, it's staged because she walked up there in the middle of the street. And I guess there's this weird thing. You know, Tank Man had no idea that there would be cameras there. Yeah. Tank Man's defiance was like real true defiance. But now in this in this Instagram world, it's like, how do I position myself to be the most aesthetically pleasing for an image? What yeah, does stage mean to you? I mean, to me, to me, uh, that that word kicks off in a couple of different directions. But I think what people are starting to sense is that we live in a world that's becoming increasingly performative. So it's not that it was staged. It's that everyone at every time at every public event where there are cameras realizes hey i might be on camera somebody's camera at some time doing something so the question of are you doing this because of your pure intentions or are you doing this because of the cameras sure you can call that into question i wouldn't call that staged being staged it's more of a comment on this performative nature of everything that happens in public these days it's kind of like the, the visual equivalent of the soundbite that politicians use in a way. It's like, what, what sort of visual pose can I strike that will, will therefore be quoted by everyone else? This, this is not that. This, this woman, I, I would say, uh, I believe her name is Aisha. Yes. Um, she is, we could talk to her, we could find out. She did not step out there 
Uh, if you were to step out in front of a line of cops uh, with the foremost thought in your mind being, how do, how do I look good for the cameras, <laughs> for the cameras, you're not going to stand like that. You're going to ham it up in some way. I, I think uh, a, a lesser person would do something like that. And this, is, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah. And to your point, though, she had no idea how the police were going to react, right? She could have been shot with a rubber bullet. She could have sure. been thrown to the ground. And so in that sense, yeah, I mean, maybe she's staging it because she's trying to elicit a reaction and she knows the cameras are there, but she could have suffered pretty grave bodily injury. One interesting aspect of this is 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 how little details in, in photographs can send your imagination spinning. And I, I think, I think um, it's something that we might talk about, but let me just start with, this one detail back to this, uh, the handcuffs and her watch and the, the straps on her dress. If you look really closely at it, I feel like the, she, you can see her car keys around her index finger. And if you, you look really closely and, <laughs> and your imagination starts to run, they look like rental car keys. And that brings in this whole another aspect of the story. Uh, I think she doesn't live in Louisiana. Maybe yeah, she's, she's a nurse from New York, as far as I know. So then it gets interesting. It's like, oh, did she rent a car to drive down to Baton Rouge? You know, that's a good drive from New York. Or So you start inventing all these stories, and, and none of which are true, or they are, I'm not sure. But um, it's, it's, how, it's the power of those little details and how they begin to work once you start digging into these things. So the, the image um, has been compared to, I don't, uh, people are comparing it to Tank Man, um, and we can get into why, but let's look at Tank Man um, for a second. The strange thing about Tank Man for me is when I see it in my mind's eye, it's not necessarily what was shot. And what I mean by that is, you know, most people don't know that there are, there are four photographers who captured it. Um, I don't necessarily remember talking about technical things. The lamppost in the right corner uh, of the version that we're looking at. Um, so when I when I pulled it up this morning, it was kind of shocking to in my mind's eye seeing this perfectly composed frame and then actually looking at it and being like, wow, it wasn't that perfect in the first place. That's great. People, when, when talking about Tank Man, won't talk about the uh, light tower. When talking about Kent State, they won't talk. There's like a pole in, in that Kent State uh, National Guard shooting image. Um, <laughs> right. The, there, it <laughs> there it is. Wow. <laughs> done your I had it. I had it in my browser tab here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's coming out of the top of her head. Um, and back to the, the these kind of flawed photos or these flaws in photos, right? This Pulitzer Prize winner, he's yeah. not talking about that poll. He's not talking about that lamppost. Um, there's something, if I could just make a comment here about Tank Man, it, it, of course, it's got this totally unassailable, simple, pure power. What, what Tank Man reminds me of is the difference between stills and video. And to me, the most affecting part of Tank Man is the video that was taken of him that shows him readjusting his position when this front tank tries to go around him. Yes. And, and that's so powerful to see in motion um, that 
uh, wow, this is an incredible picture. When I look at Tank Man, it reminds me of the video and, and that action, which feels even more powerful than just standing in front of a tank. Hmm. So, you know, we, we, so many commenters on the internet, obviously uh, US-based talking about the comparison, whether they agree or not. One of my questions uh, for you is whether Tank Man is iconic for us as Westerners. Uh, we know that in China, the image has been largely censored and suppressed and, and, and many people of a certain age have never seen the image before and, and know very little about the Tiananmen uh, massacre. I came across an acronym last night called WEIRD, which is Western Educated Industrialized Rich Democratic Nations. Wow. And I wonder if Tank Man is an example of, of a weird um, admired image. And whereas if you're, if you're anyone in any country in the modern world and you see this image, will you think it's iconic because it's a lone man standing in front of tanks or is it because so few images were coming out of China at the time and, and we see this as a fight against communism? That's all really rich. All of that is, is really interesting to, to explore. I think that part of it is generational in that if you're um, late 30s or 40s, 50s, uh, weird, what's the acronym? <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> uh, this image will have a, a ton of power for you for the rest of your life. But kids, younger kids, uh, even Americans are probably a little less schooled in the whole thing because how the story has been able to be written, rewritten by the Chinese government. And so it, it brings up this other issue of who owns the who owns the story, who owns the the, the machine that makes the stories, are uh, the story making machine. And China owns that in respect to Tiananmen right now. They were able to rewrite some of that when they had the Olympics. So they are doing an active disappearance on this picture, um, from kind of my perspective and what I've seen over the years. Uh, and so will will it continue to be iconic? I think for everybody over 35, yes, and probably under 35, no. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Our, our, our own experience obviously influences it. You know, a lot of iconic images I'm, I'm thinking too are, are also this, I, I remember exactly where I was when this happened, that sort of, that memory evocative 9-11, again, for, for people of a certain age, I know exactly where I was uh, on that day. Um, for people who are older, I know exactly where Kennedy, where I was when Kennedy was shot. Um, these really, really uh, seminal events. Um, I'm thinking of recent, recent civil rights issues, particularly around um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, that there have been so many um, deaths at the hands of police that have been captured on on, on film, which which have really um, uh, materialized this movement. Uh, for me, one of the big images uh, in my mind's eye that's sort of representative uh, is an image from Rob Cohen, uh, who works uh, for the St. Louis newspaper uh, when the Ferguson stuff was happening. This is the image, and, and, and I went to St. Louis when this was happening, and I, and I met up with some of the photographers. Um, and one of the photographers, you know, I, I had admired this photo before, but one of the photographers said only Rob Cohen could shoot a photo of a protester throwing back, you know, it was either a flare or a, or a smoke grenade or something of a guy in an American flag T-shirt holding a bag of chips while not dropping it. 
And I hadn't picked up the detail on the chip, and obviously you're, you're, you're seeing a small version of this, so it's hard to, hard to see all of that stuff. But, but again, all of these crazy details. It's, like, did, did he control the guy? You know, of course not, but he was there when it happened. I mean, you also think about just uh, from a photographic sense and, and where he is when he's shooting this, he's probably across the street, maybe at the curb of the street. He's not too close. But he could have been, let's say, 25 degrees to the left or 25 degrees to the right. It would have been different. It feels like it would have been something less. The fact that he's 90 degrees on the side, the perfect side of this man, uh, and it has all this horizontal action to it is perfect. Just like with Bachman being completely dead straight on that 90 degree profile of the subject in, in that Baton Rouge picture. It's like, uh, did he scurry to get into this position right at the last moment? I mean, it, it's so perfect how, uh, how these people do their work and come back with images like this. It's unbelievable. Are there any images from you know, the, the protests in the, in the past few years um, in regards to Black Lives Matter that stand out to you? There are. Uh, we There's a photographer here in Atlanta, Sheila Pre-Bright, who has been photographing Black Lives Matter. She was in Ferguson, maybe not in the when during the Mike Brown incident, but when things started kicking off a little bit later, um, she was there and she's done exhibitions here and in Baltimore and is doing some great work. African-American photographer here in Atlanta. Um, the, the interesting part, and I know this is a photography podcast, so I don't want to get into heresy with all this, but <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating to me how how the, the two things that happened last week, those two killings were both video, and then we have kind of a perfect still that people are able to wrap a discussion around. I mean, we could have... This, that we're talking about a still from Baton Rouge. There was one still that was maybe on the cover of the Dallas Morning News that, that really captured that that day. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the power of stills versus the power of video and how the two talk to each other is that's super fascinating to me at the moment. So in the future, will we be remembering stills or will we be remembering, you know, these three seconds of video or 10 seconds of video? I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think it's, I mean, I think we should probably do another podcast talking about the intersection <laughs> of video and still. Uh, I was, I was going back uh, and looking for other images from that, that are at least maybe three years old at the minimum um, to sort of convince myself that iconic imagery has to sort of last the test of time. So one thing that, that people have talked about is how can we tell that Bachman's image is iconic? We're, just, we're literally like three days, four days after the images have been released. Yes. This particular image from the Boston bombing um, was on the front page of many newspapers. It was the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated. So this to me is an incredible, I was there at the exact right moment, the pose of the cops, technically it's like brilliant. I know this is a vertical crap of a horizontal image, but it, it, it's still just a remarkable image. So that to me, I think is gonna be one of maybe three iconic images from the Boston bombing. Yeah. Uh, Napalm Girl, Nick Ut just announced his, uh, uh, his retirement in, for next year after 51 years at the AP. So con- congratulations to Nick. Uh, he shot this photo. Uh, uh, that that everyone remembers um, from the Vietnam War. 
so that obviously has lasted the test of time. Eddie Adams' photo, uh, for which he won the Pulitzer, for which he was very not resentful, but he wasn't proud of this this photo. Uh. Um, and he said some interesting things about because you don't understand the backstory by just looking at this. Yeah, sure. You don't understand why a general would would want to execute someone who had killed like a ton of people uh, prior to that. Um, this was an image that I don't think a lot of people have seen, but it's Gordon Parks uh, during the civil rights era. Uh, it is one of a few color images right. um, that I've seen from that era. And not only that, but, but you know, it's a color image of the colored entrance. And like the Bachman photo, it's these completely erect bodies in beautiful dresses, beautiful faces, beautiful people that it just really resonated for being both historically interesting, iconic in the sense of this colored interest thing, and also being aesthetically beautiful. And Alan, when this picture, this picture was kind of the signature image that went along with Gordon Park's recent exhibition that uh, it was at the High Museum and it's traveled other places. I think it's been up in New York since then. And there's, there's something fascinating about how this picture has worked through time. So whenever it was photographed, I'd say probably early 60s with this, mm -hmm. um, you know, he shot it on color film. And the interesting thing is that kids today think that all the pictures from the civil rights movement were shot in black and white. So you come out with this work and show it to kids now, and it makes it real in a much realer way. Like it's suddenly, oh gosh, this is exactly how things looked then. And it, it, and it, it makes uh, the picture all that much more powerful, I think, um, for, for the people who are coming after us. Totally agree. You know, when I was a kid, uh, because all the historical photos were in black and white, I used to think the world was black and white before sure. I was born. So to your point, yeah, it, it makes it seem much more tangible and much more real. Um, yeah, go ahead. What, what was it for you? Like, did you carry uh, photographs in your head while you were a kid and kind of into your teenage years? Like, were there iconic pictures that you carried around with you? Uh, I, I remember I was a big kind of photo nerd and, you know, did the photo club and, and whatnot. And I remember being uh, blown away by the, the day in the life of books. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we had, like many families, a subscription to National Geographic. Um, and I remember the Afghan girl cover. And I remember the hubbub around the pyramids being uh, manipulated to be closer together on National Geographic. Um, so there, there were images like that. And then, then of course, you know, some of the images that I've brought up today yeah. are seared into my memory. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's this the fallibility of memory. So I want to pull up another one for you. I was thinking of Muhammad Ali when I was thinking about iconic images because Neil Leifer has taken so many incredible images. And I think of this image of Ali over Liston, menacing. And, and it's a, such a great image. And I, and I pulled this up and I was like, yeah, that's the one. And then in Google images, right next to it, that's the one, <laughs> right? So which one is the one? In my memory, they're both the one because I just remembered Ali over Liston. This one is the better photo. This one is yeah. much more menacing, arms flexed. He's saying he's talking trash to Liston on the ground, but if, if I hadn't seen this one side by side, I would have been purely convinced that the other one was the one. So again, 
what is the iconic image? It's like our memories, the iconic image. They blend. Well, yeah, exactly. And 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 just think about what's happening this week. I mean, with with the spread of this Bachman image, which quite honestly, I haven't. Maybe um, I try to pay attention to these things, but I have not seen a photograph travel like this and get this much attention. And I can't. I mean, that Ferguson picture you showed definitely received a lot of attention, but. Don't you feel like this Baton Rouge image is is taking off in in a wholly different way? Absolutely. I you know, and I can't. I, I think you can't dismiss the fact that it's a beautiful woman in a beautiful dress. Right. And, and, and <laughs> you know, for for better or for worse, that's just you know that's how it is. Sure, and, I, and, yeah. and and the difference too is you know I've seen like a lot of celebrities Instagramming or retweeting the image. Right. And so there there's that social media component of of that wasn't quite prime when the michael brown images came out it's true that the you know we've had twitter for 10 years i think tomorrow is when twitter is the 10-year anniversary of twitter's launch um and yet it really uh social media has has fully penetrated for lack of a better term everyone only in the last maybe year and a half i mean once you get into a situation where people are using facebook live to show murder, chaos, and whatever else. I mean, it's it's reached everyone. Um, yeah, it, and 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 so all the tools are there to enable these pictures to take off in in unbelie- in unknown ways that we've never experienced before. I I'm in a little bit of a privileged position with that, in that I wrote this piece that's getting a bunch of attention. So my perspective on it is totally skewed. My phone just keeps, you know, um, blitzing out here while we're talking. <laughs> so. Um, so, so obviously my perspective is a little bit, uh, skewed, but it, it seems like this one will have legs. This one, this picture could last. We have seen a lot of these images today that are not only iconic, but they also won significant prizes. Many of them are Pulitzer prize winning images, but many prize winning images don't sort of last the test of the time. I, I was looking at the list of Pulitzer Prize winning photographs, and I was looking at the world press uh, images, and I can remember a, a number of the ones in recent memory, but for whatever reason, even two, three, five years later, they don't seem iconic in the same way that Ali Liston or James Knockway's 9-11 or Napalm Girl or Tank Man are. What, what, what is that? And especially with everyone's a photographer now, we got more cameras than ever. It's uh, is the quality decreasing? That's a whole nother. That could be a series of podcasts. Right? <laughs> um, the, it's it's a good question. When thinking about world press photo, the 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 recent uh, winner that comes to my mind. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you'll you'll be able to call this up, but it was it's a picture of of guys looking for cell phone reception at uh-huh. night, and they have their phones in the air. Um, it's an amazing photograph, and it feels almost more like a f- more fine art than documentary. Even that it's a completely metaphorical piece that could be standing on the surface of the moon. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, that's that's amazing. But is it iconic? Uh, I'm not sure. It might have been for <laughs> felt that way that week. 
Um, it's funny that you bring this photo up because this was actually the, the exact photo that I was thinking like. Oh, perfect. It, it's a great photo. I remember when it came out and it won and I was like, wow, that is a brave choice and it's an awesome photo. Yeah. But I don't know that it's iconic. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting in that, you know, 20 years from now, what are they holding up? Like, well, why isn't just, it just they're planted just, in their eyes? If it were taken this week, they're just playing Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's interesting. And, 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 and that's why I was a little surprised at, the, at this prize winner criticizing the image. Like, oh, it's a good image. It's not a great image. Well, a couple of things about that. I might have read these in your piece or seen them in another interview with the photographer where he said, look, a lot of my heroes, a lot of photographers have reached out to me and said, hey, great work, way to go, which uh, is validating beyond a Pulitzer Prize winner sniping, whether yeah. it's good or not. These people are getting in touch with them and calling him up, and that's what really matters. The other part is how he has talked about what he does as a photojournalist in response to the image, which is amazing and i love he he's just hey i have a job to do i go do this job i end up taking this picture i'm a freelancer i go where the pictures are uh i'm just doing my work and and how he kind of diffuses the the let's say specialness of it uh or the metaphysicalness of it and it becomes very uh workmanlike and this kind of uh career that um yeah, there's th this noble career, essentially, where I'm just doing my job. I, how he's handled that has been really special, I think. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to him on the phone. He's a, he's actually a photo shelter user, so I sent him an email, and, and I, he said, call me up, and, and we chatted. He's so humble, uh, and he describes himself as a photo nerd, and, and he can't believe that his photo is sort of being mentioned in the same breath as some of these other iconic photos. For him, it's, it's just the thrill. And one of the things that he mentioned too is he said, you know, there's so many photos of riots and whatnot, and 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 in the past week, all of this violent imagery. Yeah. And to have his image just be kind of really beautiful, aesthetically beautiful. Yeah. Um, in so many different ways and so many different components, he's he's really proud of that, but still being very humble and ha having a lot of humility around that. I, I I think he's just a great guy. <laughs> Yeah, something else that this whole kind of firestorm is teaching me, and maybe you you feel this way too, Alan, is just that there is there is a thirst. People are th were thirsty for this picture. People needed this picture before they saw it. Oh, I agree. They had a place in their heart and in their brains that was open, and they needed it filled by this picture. And and Mr. Bachman went out there and 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 brought it back and said, "Here you go." And the response to it is the response of people feeling filled that 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 little void just got filled. Um, there's something about that that's that's really wonderful. But I feel like it seeing that thirst satisfied uh, illuminated that there was a thirst, and I I wouldn't have realized it before. What this was this picture was taken on Saturday that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, and and. I wouldn't have recognized that there was a thirst. Like uh, on Friday, I wouldn't have said, hey, you know what we really need now <laughs> is somebody to take an iconic image that's just going to span the globe and get people really talking about stuff. Uh, 
we didn't we didn't know we were thirsty and that too uh accentuates that power right it's this surprise like oh, i didn't know i needed this and here it is god it's perfect it, it so it's this beautiful image uh, a few years back and I, I i apologize i'm forgetting the name of the critic who said that war photography has become too beautiful yeah i can he, talk about that actually yeah so I, I know i know that that work can you can you discuss this image in sort of the same context like i i, I thought the argument that war photography is too beautiful was was bs to be honest um so i'm interested to hear your your, your viewpoint that project is from uh, a writer david shields who actually studied with uh in an mfa program at the university of washington and it's a real provocative statement so essentially he went through and looked at a1 photographs on the on the new york times for during during uh the war in afghanistan and iraq and looked at how they connected to classical themes of violence of love of uh hatred and how they kind of helped sell the war um and he it would be really interesting to find out what david thinks about this i think it would fit into his thesis nicely um or tidily i i'm not sure that i uh, agree with his thesis but i think it's one that's worthwhile uh discussing it's it's the beauty element of this picture that that um that gets at it i mean we could talk about the kind of classical ramifications of beauty uh in art and how people respond to it and in a way that might outweigh if it were a different subject in that picture we could we could think about what would this have traveled such so far and widely it would it probably wouldn't have um back to your boston bombing picture the reason it works so well is that trio of police behind the the subject lying on his back i mean the fact that the the leftmost pol police uh woman has her gun drawn and it's pointing at the ground i mean there's a there there are classical elements of composition and i'm straying a little bit from david shields but there are classical elements of composition that are at work in both of these pictures that you can see throughout the history of art essentially right 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 yeah fascinating hey one last thought and you you you, you covered it already but can we tell so early on whether this image is going to be iconic. You know, I think people semantically are sort of protesting. I, I, I saw one comment that said, it's an instant classic, but it's not iconic, which I thought was wow. kind of mincing words, but, <laughs> but, I, but I appreciated the sentiment. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, the first time I saw the photo, I was like, yeah, that's a good photo. It's not a great photo. And then when I read your piece and I started studying it a little bit more, I'm thinking, no, this, is, this might have legs on it. Can we tell this early, though, a week, not even a week later? We can't, but it's really fun to say that it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right, you step out on a limb. We have no way of knowing what the future is going to bring for this picture. But thinking back to what we were just talking about and our need for these kind of stills that can help take us out of the emotions we might be feeling about a particular news story, how this satisfied that, how this will help galvanize some public opinion, I mean, that cell phone on the beach looking for reception picture didn't galvanize public opinion, really. Like, yeah. this is moving, this will move the public's perception about protest, about police, about what's up with all this body armor that all these, uh, and, and these SWAT vehicles. 
I mean, I, I like to step out on the limb and just say, yeah, sure, this is iconic, but if you made dinner last night, could you tell it's an instant classic versus an iconic <laughs> dinner? I don't know. I did, I did make a, uh, a pizza from scratch, so I'm going to say it was pretty iconic. <laughs> That's an instant classic. <laughs> uh, so uh, to the listening audience, if you're in Atlanta in October, you should definitely check out Atlanta Celebrates Photography, Michael's uh, uh, project there. Um, 20 to 30 exhibits plus another 80 or so made by the public, a really fascinating project. I'd love, I'd love to make it down there. But Michael David Murphy, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it, Alan. Great chatting with you. Uh, and so this is a special podcast for I Love Photography, talking about what makes uh, photo iconic. We're, we're glad you joined us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.